0: Real. Life. Superpowers.
1: This is really a manic depressive kind of state to, to be an entrepreneur because because you reach some incredible heights and you say, oh, my God, I can't believe that, you know, we, we passed on whatever it was, the million dollars a month or, or whatever mark. And then, then later you get a phone call from an investor that tells you, listen, I don't believe in this market. It's not going to scale. And then you say, shit, he's right. I'm never going to make it. What am I doing here? But you have to get over it very, very quickly. You have you have to kind of believe in what you're doing and and, and be persistent.
2: Hey everyone, in this episode, we speak with Noam Toyster, CEO and co-founder of bookaway.com, a startup that helps travelers with everything to do with ground travel tickets. That means bus tickets, ferry, train, you name it. In 2020, when the pandemic struck, the travel industry suffered the largest crisis in a hundred years. Bookaway crashed from significant revenue to tens of dollars a day. Some people are generals of peace, some of war. Noam is a general of war. Instead of closing shop, he and the team raised $35 million and bought three companies. It's a story of resilience, of pushing forward against all odds, and of how choosing the right investors can make or break your chances of success. Enjoy your listen. Real life, superpowers.
0: Real life
2: superpowers. So, Noam, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Thanks, happy to be here. Great. What are you up to these days?
1: Uh, recovering from COVID, and uh, that's the, the main thing uh, last week. But uh, in general, we're ramping up towards travel uh, recovery in next half year, probably. So, we're really busy in uh, building the company. Uh, back to scale, to, to getting back to where we were in 2019 and exceeding that uh, by multiples.
2: And that's pretty much the circumstance since 2020, right? You're recovering from COVID from way before last week. You personally had COVID just now, but the company sort of got struck pretty bad.
1: Yes, BookAway is a travel company and we were hit the hardest that, that you can get hit, right? So um, we're a travel company and we were focused on Asia in 2019 and, and 2020. When COVID started, we were basically one of the first companies to really feel the heat. We saw at the first month that it really kind of became a a thing, uh, something like 40, 50% decline in bookings. And then the next month, it went down to minus 98% of of what we were. And it kind of stayed there for a very, very long time. I'm happy to say that, that we are at a much better place today because we actually made it through COVID and we actually managed to get the company multiple times bigger than what we were pre-covid with different things that 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 we did to take advantage of of the opportunity that covid actually created for us but it wasn't an easy time at all it was a, a really tough couple of years for us so
2: there's a lot to unpack with respect to how you took this really difficult situation uh, and turned it into an opportunity but can you please before that walk us through that point before everything crumbled and where were you what were you doing what stage was the company at and why did you build it in the first place
1: yeah so so Booker is a ground and sea transportation booking platform uh, what it means basically is a site a booking.com resembling site that you can book buses ferries trains and cars with a driver all over the world in 110 countries now The market that that we're looking at is the travel market. But today, when you go travel, you book flights online, you book the hotels online. But if actually, if you're looking to travel inside a country, move between different destinations, depends where you are in the world, but it's somewhere between hard to impossible to book in advance. So most people would end up booking these services from the hotel or actually going to a bus station. This is how my, my company started from my personal experience. Um, I actually went to, uh, I was traveling in the Philippines, I was trying to get to uh, a very famous tourist destination north of Manila, and, and I just couldn't book the bus there. And, and uh, I had to take a taxi, which takes two hours in Manila traffic, to the bus station, buy a bus ticket, go back to your hotel, and then come back the next day to take the bus, and then meet all the other tourists that did this, exactly the same thing, because there's no way to book the, the tickets online. And, and it kind of seemed crazy to me back then. And uh, and when I came back to Israel, I I kind of uh, started a very small scale uh, proof of concept website that sold tickets in, in the Philippines. And this is what we do in large scale today all over the world. We connect to thousands of thousands of transportation operators globally. And these are companies that historically are not very tech oriented. They don't have any online capabilities. They don't know really. Uh, they don't use any software. And it's really hard to work with them and we bring them online in various ways. we connect with, with uh, these founders of companies and we allow you as a customer to book these services um, easily uh, as easily as you would book a hotel today. Uh, we have all the information that you need like what the bus looks like, uh, how long the ride is, uh, where you actually need to board it, which is actually you know pretty you know pretty standard information that you would need to, bo- to board a bus but it's really hard to get today.
2: Was this your first venture?
1: No, this was my second, third, fourth venture. Depends how you count. I, I, I've i only been doing startups since I graduated from university. I had one company that um, was a mobile advertising company that was pretty successful in Israel and was sort of turned into a sort of a, a marketing agency in Israel that, that uh, worked for a couple of years, three or four years and, and generated nice uh, income for myself. But uh, didn't penetrate into the, the US market as I hoped it would. And in the end, I kind of decided to to um to shut it down and move forward to to the next thing. I had a couple of other startups during the years while I was working as a freelance developer for for a couple of companies. And uh and this is one of these small ideas that I started, you know, after a couple of other ideas, they just didn't scale. And that thing just scaled enormously in in a couple of months, and and then I said to myself, Okay, so this is how it looks when, when, when a proof of concept, concept works.
2: And How did you know that you want to do a proof of concept in the first place? Was it based on your experience uh, in, in your previous ventures? Like, did you, did you sort of understand stuff based on what you already attempted?
1: Yeah, I think that was that was part of the, the lessons that I learned from, from the first startup. That I, I did a lot of things um, without really checking if the market is there. So I, I, was, I was really sort of assuming a lot of stuff and building uh, and, 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 and you know taking uh, resources into certain features and products that we eventually realized that nobody wants. Um, so I guess I, I did a whole lot of mistakes in my first company and uh, and uh, luckily still, I, I managed to turn that into sort of a, a lifestyle business, right. So it started as a startup that wanted to be to conquer the world, but in the, in the end it, it ended up generating money as a sort of a lifestyle business. But all these lessons that I learned while doing that, I think I I, I tried to implement them in 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 this startup. Um, but you know, I think that uh, building a startup is is uh, is and I th- I'm I'm borrowing this from uh, Brian Chevsky from Airbnb who said that. But he said yeah. that uh, managing a startup is really like playing a different sport every six months. It's not like you, you're playing basketball and then you're just the first year, you're, you're the you're point guard and then you're the shooting guard and, and you evolve. You're just playing basketball and then six months later, you have to learn baseball. And and um, so I, I had a lot of sort of knowledge uh, that I that got me to this point, but now I'm still learning a lot of new stuff of what it's like to run a company that's hundreds of employees and then uh, and, and globally scaled and so on. So, what were your key lessons
2: that you entered this adventure with?
1: So, I think the first thing that I that I that I learned was was really start things very small. And the the what I did in the beginning is that I built a, a Wix website, um, sort of thing. It was Wix or something like that, and I just took twenty dollars or something from people that said they want a ticket, and I sent some Filipino travel agent to uh, buy the ticket at the station and take a picture of it. And he would go once a day and buy whatever amount of tickets I told him and then send it back to me and I would send it to the customers and they would just go to the bus station and show the picture of the ticket and board the bus. And that thing sold, I don't remember exactly, but I think it sold something like $8,000 in the first month or something like that. We've only sort of basic advertising in in Google and... uh...
2: Which I guess you had the knowledge of uh, from your first venture of how to advertise.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that I I I think it's it's kind of basic because if you if you're building something from scratch, you really in the first stages have to be the guy that that is an all-around player. You have to be the one that does everything, even if you're you're not a single founder. You have one technical guy probably or two technical guys, but you have to do the marketing, you have to do the sales, you have to do the, the accounting. Um, and if you don't know to do this stuff or to teach yourself how to do this stuff at a reasonable level. In in the first kind of couple of months, you're probably going to have a hard time proving your your concept and growing off a sort of a bootstrap budget, more or less. So,
2: start small. That was the first lesson that you entered this with. What else?
1: Second lesson is um, that something that I got burnt with in, in my first startup is, is really make sure that you're building for a global uh, audience, uh, whether it's the US market or, or just global market, not optimizing for a very, very specific uh, market. Uh, that's something that we as Israelis are sometimes not uh, uh, aware of that uh, succeeding in the Israeli market doesn't mean anything about anything else, anywhere else in the world. Um, and. And, you know, same thing as succeeding as the fee in the Philippines, right? So if you succeed in the Philippines, it doesn't mean you can be successful at the same thing in uh, Brazil, for example. But Although how- the Philippines is, is, is a big enough market, right, for itself. But uh, in the end, you have to be sure that, that what you're building is actually scalable everywhere. But how do you the decision what geo? Um, how, do you, like, how, how do you implement that? So first of all, it, it depends on the market, right? So if you're looking at, uh, in our case, if you're looking at the tourist market, so you have to make sure that you're building something that every, you know, let's call it the subsegment of the, of the customers that we're looking at are Western customers at the moment. So you would look at people that are, in general, speak English to, to some, either they're Americans or British or, or they're just European that speak English uh, or another sort of uh, European language. And they are traveling in a country that probably they don't know the language, probably is less sort of developed than, than the infrastructure that they used to. And they would need a, a service that would help them to move around that country. Um, so so that's the, that's the first the first kind of segment that you optimize for. Uh, later, you can go and say, okay, so I'm going to build that for, for domestic travelers as well. So Israelis that are traveling in Israel would want to book for me maybe in the future. Um, Filipinos traveling inside the Philippines would, could book for me. Uh, but in the first stage, you want to sort of nail a certain audience that is big enough, even if you don't move on to the next audience.
2: So you started a, your POC and how did this evolve?
1: So I started that P- POC and it, it sold, like I said, a few thousand dollars in the first month. And then I said, okay, so, you know, let, let, let's add another route or whatever it was. And I'll, I'll send another agent in a different kind of region to, to buy t- ferry tickets and from one island to another.
2: How did you find those agents?
1: Email that I told them, you know, I, um, I built the site first, which is r- fairly easy. And I told them, I have this site. I sell a lot of tickets. Do you want to work with me? And, and it's kind of hard by email, but you send 10 emails and, you know, one out of 10 says, yeah, okay, I'll try you. And that worked. And then I said, okay, let's try another country. So from Philippines, we moved to Thailand and Vietnam. Who is we? At that point, I had a co-founder already that uh, was the technical uh, co-founder like a certain yeah more or less around that time.
2: Which is also interesting because you're a developer, right?
1: I developed, but I'm not a developer.
2: Okay.
0: You had a co-founder that came in, which is funny because like it's a co-founder. So
1: once I I moved to Thailand, he already joined me at that point. I think I started Vietnam and, and Thailand by myself. And then I basically built a whole bunch of separate websites on Wix and there was a website to book buses to Chiang Mai and there's a website to book buses to Halong Bay and then there was another website uh, of booking buses to or ferry to Copangan. Like I just beat one website on Wix and duplicated it a couple of times and and just advertised it and at that point I said listen it's it's I I got to I don't remember how much but I got to a few tens of thousands of dollars of, of sales a month and I said okay this is the there's a there's a market there's an opportunity here this can scale um and and then i said okay i gotta turn it into a real platform a real website that that you know uh, that I knew, and i need a real developer so you
0: came up and executed yourself you did like a poc to yourself right put your own money on that which is like you know that few thousand dollars if i understand correctly it came for that and then what you did is you actually let's say um filled in the marketplace by bringing you know Every person that you could uh, getting them on board, but at what point did you have enough tickets to sell, enough ferries, enough trains, so you could
1: bring users in? That's a classic kind of marketplace dilemma, right? So okay. the supply is first of all, right? So so what is very convenient in the market that we're at is that the demand is very very clear, right? So if you want to go from Koh Samui in Thailand to Koh Phangan. and there is a ferry that goes there. You're going to to Google how do I get from Koh Samui to Copangan.
0: In that geo, you were were you like like specific enough to find a niche that
1: barely anybody did it on Google? There were competitors. There are still competitors, but the, there isn't sort of a giant kind of gorilla in the market that took it already. There are a few competitors now that are competing. To become the kind of booking.com of that industry, and I think we are the company that is best positioned to to win that market now. Yeah. But when I started four years ago, I think there was one very dominant company in Europe doing that, and a a company um, that was had a, a very good very good traction in Asia, uh, which we started to compete with, and eventually um, sort of uh, breaking to to the end, we ended up buying them. Uh, but, uh, but but there weren't huge competitors, right? So so it was easy to kind of break into the PPC competition and put some dollars in the, and then get on the search results. And once you do that, you just get the customers. I mean, it, and, and you understand once you, when you get to a point, when you say, okay, I'm selling, this is the product I'm selling. It's very clear to explain what it is. The customer knows what it is. The customer knows what he's looking for. I can put money into an advertising platform, whether it's Google or Facebook or whatever. And I get a certain conversion of customers. I pay a thousand dollars. I get a thousand customers into the site. Out of these thousand customers, fifty customers would end up booking a ticket. This works. The machine works. Now, now let's optimize okay, it. Right. In the first kind of months when that we were bootstrapping, we were very careful with, with managing the advertising. So we made sure that we're always profitable on the advertising. And that's one of the you know amazing things about about the company that we have today. We've we've you know, ROI positive on, on almost everything that we do. And that's something that we started off initially with and that allowed us to grow. So if, if we saw that we weren't ROI positive at certain markets, we wouldn't go into it, right? So we today we go into a market that we can lose money at because we have the money to lose. But when we were doing it from our own money, we couldn't even, you know, allow, allow ourselves to lose $1,000.
2: At what stage did you bring in
1: investors? After a year? When was this? That was the beginning of... Uh, 218. It was maybe not a year, it was maybe nine months or something like that that we that we were working uh just ourselves. And at that point, we were we were doing, I think, uh close to a hundred thousand dollars a month or something like that. And so we were actually kind of a company that had generated a lot of revenue without doing anything, without having any employees or, or, or nothing. And we were at a very good position to uh, to fundraise just because it's much easier to go to investors and say, listen, you don't want to put the money. I'm just going to keep doing that and, and get my salary and that's fine. So so at that point it was much easier. It wasn't easy, but it was easier to get uh, investors. Why did you want investors? Because you, at some point you, you, if you want to become a, a big company and there is an opportunity to become a, a, let's call it a $10 billion company. And there is an opportunity here because just, just to 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 explain the market that we are at is a, billion market yearly. um, And 90% of it is sold offline uh, in in the street. So if if you, you know, if you don't have a company that takes 1% of the market, you're a huge company. So there is a huge opportunity, but you can't do it without actually backing like financial backing, like the simple things like flying and meeting operators we couldn't do because we couldn't afford it. So we, we knew that, you know, we, we were at a point and we told ourselves this or this either either we take it into a you know lifestyle business again and 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 kind of make a nice salary out of it for a few years. But I'm sure that at some point booking or expedia or someone's gonna go into that market and, and eat our eat our breakfast. Or we we say let's you know go big or or go home. And and we thought at that point Conf- we we're confident enough to think that 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 there is an opportunity to become a huge company.
2: So you bring in an investor, and then you start rapidly scaling, right?
1: Yeah. So we brought in a group of angel investors. We we raised a million dollars uh, in the in the pre-seed round, I guess you can call it. Um, and, and what we did is we took, uh, I think maybe ten people or something like that. And one of the main things that we did is really uh, scale up, grow the supply really, really quickly. So when we took investors, I think we were working with roughly 20 kind of transportation operators or something like that. And and then uh, a year later, we scaled it up to, and I I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was something around 200 or something like that. and uh, and that was another validation of the market, by the way, because one of the biggest concerns of investors was how how would a couple of Israelis sitting in Tel Aviv convince bus companies in Bangkok and in uh, in in Sao Paulo and 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 Lima to to work with you guys, and and we proved that it's not it's just easy. It's not easy, but you know it just works because they need it. And we're offering a product that that makes sense for them, and it's a win-win for everyone. So we managed to scale the supply very, very quickly, um, and with the supply it just was linear, right? The, the, the more supply we had, the more the more customers we got. Um, and in, in the beginning, it's very easy to get you know new customers. Once you scale up and you grow, then you know the next the next uh, level of customers becomes harder. Yeah, but you say easy.
0: I wanna get stuck, but like this is for like entrepreneurs that you say easy. I, I know the easy you're talking about because you probably have an yeah. advantage, but let's talk about the easy because when you say how does that Israelis how will they bring someone from Vietnam? The thing is, didn't you have to educate them on what performance marketing is? Because like how do they get their money how
1: much they pay for it or let me, you know, backtrack for a second nothing is easy. All right. So nothing is, is easy. It's not, uh, you know, not people don't run at you and say, okay, take my money and shut up. Um, they, but once you come, once you, you come with some sort of an offer that is a product market fit. All right. And that's why the, that kind of concept exists. Then you, then you get to, to a certain customer, which could be a business partner on the supply side, or it could be a customer, a user, user, and the offering makes sense, right? And he says, okay, yeah, that makes sense for me. But the problem, then then you have a whole, whole uh, kind of list of problems uh, starting from, Hey, you're not a Thai company. We can't sign a contract with you, or I don't trust you because you're, you're, you're not, you know, don't, you don't have an office here or, I don't open my email every day. Why the hell, you know, how am I going to get the bookings? And starting to educate them to actually accept bookings. So then it starts sort of, of, you start to build the solutions around it. Some of the solutions, most of the solutions you try to to have as technical solutions um, that that allow you to scale up quickly. Some of them are very manual solutions. Um, and in the end, it's a you know it's a process that you learn how to do it. But the ferry, the ferry that you're
0: working with, so a ferry doesn't have to be a private ferry. It could be the Thai government ferry. Like they don't need to have better performance of their ROI. And then you
1: have to educate why they need it. So like that's a big challenge. It's true. But the government companies, and they're all also government companies, kind of came at a, at a later stage. When we were big enough, Uh, And we were something that the market knew and customers started coming to, to operate and saying, can I book for book away with you guys? Then it was easier to, to work with them and, and, and convince them that, you know, in the end, even a government companies, you know, wants to make more money. Um, But yeah, at first stages government companies just said we don't need it. I mean, who cares? Yes. Yes. So like
0: it's a big market share for you. Like that's a game changer. Yeah.
1: So globally, the world is is uh the market is much more fragmented. Israel or or even the like different countries have maybe one or two bus big bus companies, but actually if you go to markets like Brazil and Argentina and Thailand and Vietnam, you you end up having not dozens but hundreds of bus operators. So if the big company that is the government company who's maybe 10% of the market, doesn't care about you, then you can go to, to the independent competitor and tell him, look, okay, I can get you more customers. And and, and then, you know, and again, it's a product market. Then you realize there is a market for it. Um, if you look at, for example, I'll give you an example, but one of our biggest operators is the Thai railways, right? And that's a government company. And even today, when we sell tens of millions, uh, we, we, they don't want to work with us because it's too small for them. It's, it doesn't, it's not interesting for them and we hack it, right? So we have a, a booth in the bus station and still like we did in the first days, every time the we get a booking, someone goes out and buys the ticket and, and we sell tens of thousands of tickets like that, but it, it actually enables the customer to book the ticket. It, it saves them time It helps them to, to, to arrange their, their, uh, their travel in advance, uh, re- reduces anxiety of how the hell am I going to buy this ticket, right? Because you are sitting in Tel Aviv or whatever, and you're saying, I want to get the train to, to Chiang Mai on that date, but I can only buy the train ticket once I land in Bangkok and I have to go, I, go to the bus, t- to the, to the train, uh, station. So no, you can book it from us and, and we'll go and buy it for you. And then you just pick it up at the station. Right. Um, uh, and it's, You have to to sort of stitch around a lot of solutions to until at some point I'm sure that the Thai railway will work with us as well. Right, I think
0: our listeners there would be something amazing that you're doing that I think a lot of a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are stuck in that. So I would like a trick. I think one of the things that that I like about that is each time you go, you say you're getting it ready for now. I understand the global culture you're getting it ready you have to understand how to get it ready from the user perspective but there's a lot of startups that's like hyper startups where they can test those areas of supply they're building a marketplace you test areas of supply and you try to get more and more customers on the supply side now it sounds like you have you have a lot of times you also try supply and say you know what the Peruvians aren't for us we tried getting enough you know people there and you know there's not enough companies or I worked a month and I only have three companies. It's not worthwhile. Let's go to the next one. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't know how to do the fail fast because they don't know the all the information. So how did you decide to fail, like, say, that's it with this geo on the supply side, I'm going next. Or um, no potential here, let's go to Brazil first.
1: Try and fail, basically. But after a year or two, we kind of... Uh... We, we kind of created our own methodology of, of uh, predicting in advance what's going to work and what isn't. So we look at a lot of factors in, in the demand side, starting from Google searches, um, number of tourists in the country, um, competition, whether it's a government company or not, uh, and we'll factor that in and then we'll say, okay, this is probably going to work or, or this, is, this is probably not going to work, so we would leave it in the end. Um, so it's a low priority right so we have this very long um list that is called we call the priority list and and there's sort of a an, a, a, a algorithm that we put uh, a lot of factors into and then what it b- brings out in the other side is this is the first company you should uh, engage with this is pro this is probably the most likely company to to make yeah. money for us or or to sell um and, and we optimize that kind of algorithm all the time.
2: Do you remember a point in time where you told yourself, "Wow, okay, this is this is happening. We we're making it."
1: Yeah, like uh, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, you say it like every month to yourself, and then you know, a day later, you say to yourself, "This is this this is not going to work." So, so, so this is really a manic depressive kind of state to, to be an entrepreneur because, because you reach an incredible heights and you say, oh, my God, I can't believe that, you know, we, we passed on whatever it was, the million dollars a month or, or whatever mark. And then, then later, you get a phone call from an investor that tells you, listen, I don't believe in this market. It's not going to scale. And then you say, shit, he's right. I'm never going to make it. What am I doing here? But you have to get over it very, very quickly. You have, you have to kind of believe in what you're doing and, and, and be persistent. I appreciate your very honest answer,
2: and I'm still wondering though. Before the pandemic hit, you were feeling pretty good, right? About the
1: business, I mean. I think that the, there was a certain point, it was kind of an inflection point or whatever that that we knew that this is going to be a, a company that's here to stay, right? Whether it's going to be a ten billion dollar company or or a a uh, hundred million dollar company, you know probably probably we're soon to, to like we, we believed in 10 billion vi- vision but uh you know we knew that it, it's working you know whatever it is it's working um if that's the question
2: it does it does fair enough and then somebody in china eats a bat
1: allegedly
2: allegedly yeah. how soon after that did
1: you start telling yourself okay we're doomed um we, we never really said that i mean we were, we were in denial for for uh, in the beginning um, and we were kind of lucky enough to have uh, very smart investors that, you know, set us down and told us, look at what's going on. Uh, this is what's happening there. It's going to hit us in one month and we have to prepare. And, and then I kind of opened my eyes and I said, shit, they're, they're right. And and we did a lot of adjustments to make sure that we, we don't uh, go bankrupt. What did you do? We had to let go of half of the team. At that point, we were sixty people, and we had to let go of almost half the people. Um, we had to 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 move off. We had to cut budget by fifty percent, basically, just to make sure that that we were lucky enough to have to still have money in the bank at that point, right? When we said this is the money we have. We got to make sure we can make it through through this whatever it is. Um, and, and that's that. You know, when we we ended up cutting. Up people very very quickly it even got to the news in Israel which is ridiculous was you know in my view was ridiculous because we're a really tiny company and we were in travel so we we had to let go of people but we were one of the first companies that actually said COVID is going to be a big problem so at that point we were the first company that that kind of let go of people in Israel and there was an article about us and, and all that. How did you feel? It feels like shit. Um, it, it it feels awful. And um,
2: were you struggling to to go to work in the morning, or was this more uh, of pulling up your
1: sleeves, like
0: or this, uh... scared that you maybe you did the wrong bet and there's not going to be a corona in another month, and then.
1: We, we we never got into a, a sort of depression mode, I think, and uh, you know, no, not more not for more than uh, half an hour, right? So you right. You, you go to kind of uh, deeps and downs, and and yeah, you get out of it very quickly if if you want to move forward.
2: So how how what do you tell yourself? I think this is crucial. Like at the end of the day, this is a huge crisis, and it's really interesting what gave you the strength to pull through and even come out stronger. Good question.
1: Um... I guess it's just a matter of of character. I mean, uh, I don't think that. I think that COVID is one of the worst crises a company can can encounter. But any startup, you're gonna hit very bad crises every now and then. And either you have the the character and and the persistence to to just get up and and continue doing whatever you're doing, or you don't. And I think that if we hadn't had it at that point, then we wouldn't get to to, to where we were anyway. So, so I think that, um, in that sense, we, you know, we did what we, we, we do every morning and we woke up and and went to work and what we thought, you know, everybody thought at this was like March, 2020, right. And everybody thought this thing is going to go away by the summer. Nobody thought it's going to take two, three, four years to to get travel back. Everybody said this is going to go. Well, you remember they said the summer is going to kill the virus, right? Too hot for the for that thing. And no, that kind of lasted. And around September, it was kind of clear that it's a two-year event at least. And at that point, we really had to stop and say, okay, so either travel is not coming back for two years so we might you know either pivot or or you know you know take the tech that we have and see what we can sell out of it like sell sell a different product from it um or maybe just go and hibernate a lot of companies at that point sent all their employees home and said hey you will call you in 6 months um or we kind of uh, think of is there something better we can do with it and at that point we got to to thinking that you know it's either go big or go home, and and we looked at the market and we saw that, you know, when it rains everybody gets wet. So we said if we're on zero, then these guys are on zero, and these guys are on zero, and these guys are on zero, and and I know that they're they they're, they're the same dilemma, and and then we just threw around the idea and we said what if what if we buy them, uh, what if we just buy that competitor and that competitor and that competitor you know let's let's see how much money they you know they probably either going to fire all their employees or or sell to us and and that was kind of a crazy idea because we were 30 people company here you know few couple of founders that have never done M&A's and and we just went to our investors and we said so listen here's what we we want to do <laughs> and and they and and you know they ended up supporting us with that and we ended up convincing our competitors like companies that were really our nemesis that you know if we get together we can just become the biggest company in the market post covid and and nobody there's nobody there's not going to be anyone left after after we're done with this with this uh sort of uh with this uh crisis and then we're just going to be the winner in the market and we managed to to pull it off
2: and did you merge with them or are
1: they still holding some shares we acquired them but we actually used they are shareholders in 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 the new company right so we kind of that's a long story about how you who you buy and how who you want to partner with but we ended up merging buying companies that we trusted their management and their management now has a vested interest to make bookaway group the the leading company in the market so if we succeed they're going to get whatever they we pay them they're going to get you know again and again and again um so 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 that was the sort of crazy idea that 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 we had and and it worked out
0: you know you're acquiring these companies you have to give them a vision so what changed
1: in like how do you see it differently the opportunity or so the market is is much better than it, it was so 2021 in the early 2021 everything was was pretty down uh but now the travel market is not on on zero it's on Depends where, what region you're talking about. Some places you're on seventy percent recovery. Some places, the, the worst places you're on twenty um, percent recovery. So there is sales, uh, and we see the sort of light in the end of the tunnel. So, so we think, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not it's not as as bad as it was when we did these uh, these deals. By the way, when we did this, there wasn't any vaccine the, that like it wasn't even sort of out in the market yet. Did you see any destinations changing in the tourism market? Any trends
0: that changed because of this? Or is everybody like acting the same right after?
1: So it's kind of early days to, to answer that, I think. But but uh, what we do notice is there's more demand for uh, private transportation rather than shared cars. And we also, we seem to think that to see a trend towards sort of more distinct uh, destinations, sort of more faraway destinations, which is great for us. Uh, kind of uh, quiet places rather than uh, very uh, dense okay. locations. Uh, but again, it's kind of early to to really have concrete data about it.
2: So what's the vision? Where do you hope that the BookAway group will be in a few years?
1: So BookAway is uh, going to be the leader in uh, the transportation market, the travel transportation market. We're going to be the booking.com of this market. We, we already have actually the large, largest inventory of, of uh, transportation operators globally. And we're going to keep growing it and allowing anyone that's traveling anywhere in the world to to do it easily, conveniently, and without any anxiety. Um, And and we kind of think about what we're doing as the actual, the real travel, right? Because if you're going anywhere, if you're flying to, to any country, then you're staying in a hotel, you're staying. If you're flying, you're flying. But your actual travels, when you want to go from point A to point B, see this place, um, that's one what we want to take care of, and it's not as easy as, as you would expect it to be at this in the twenty twenty two.
2: Yeah, especially I think in those areas.
1: Yeah, in those areas especially, but but also the but the problem by the way is is not as acute, but it does exist in Western countries also. I mean, uh, although you have bigger companies in Western countries like uh, Greyhound, uh, Deutsche Bahn in Germany. Uh, all these these um, services it's still not super convenient to book it, and especially if you want to you to compare prices, if you want to travel using several different companies, you know the bus and then a the train, then you can't do it unless you're using some sort of platform like Bookaway. Um, so it's still not as convenient as you would expect it to be.
2: Maybe also like move it. I don't know if uh, if they're big enough, but maybe they could buy you. I think move it
1: already is Intel, but. Um, right 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 i read that too but uh we don't compete with we're we, on we the same market actually movies is more like in the information providing information yeah.
2: so you you integrate in a sense or or could
1: yeah we, we could integrate with them uh but we're not looking to to sell uh, We we're kind of at a yay there aren't too many companies that that could buy us at this point no that's not the reason
0: don't sell no i'm'm I'm, I'm 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 happy she was going for the sell thing i'm happy you answered that sorry
2: no but but,
1: but what's the rest of the answer? So the rest of the answer is that is that that we're growing and we're aiming to be a, a profitable company and we're going to keep growing and and you know we're going to get to some liquidation for ourselves and our shareholders and investors through some way probably an IPO but getting sold is not is not uh, is not a goal because if we aim there then we're not going to get you know if if you build for 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 sale then you're not, you're not going to grow
2: yeah, Renan here is nodding, but I just want other listeners to also, you know, I guess some, some already know that, but uh, Renan is very much pro that approach. So
0: I'm not saying great things not to exit, but I'm very proud of entrepreneurs that want to grow because at the end, the end game is, you know, I think it's just fun to see people that believe in themselves and know they can grow self-reliantly, and I'm proud
1: of them. I think that the ecosystem, definitely in Israel, is evolving to to better support Um, growing a company to to that point. And and it's not as easy as as it sounds because you're saying, yeah, I just want to grow a big big company and and that's it. But it's not as as simple as that because at some point you spend uh, many years on on a startup or an idea and and the work is very, very hard. You end up working a lot of of, uh, hours and not seeing your family um, and so on. And any, any entrepreneur wants to see the point where where you know he benefits out of it and, and you need the, that ecosystem of of, sort of larger rounds that allow secondaries and, and investors that can support the the sort of long-term vision of of companies to allow founders to hold on during the whole the 100 of the journey what's your superpower i learn things very very quickly i learn everything to be I, I, i'm I can be average at everything very, very quickly. And that's something that allows me to really understand almost everything that is around my business, Uh, to be sort of understand every aspect of the business and and kind of have an intelligent enough opinion on on how to manage it. Probably cultures too. Cultures, yeah. Cultures, I think that's something that... uh, I'm Also, you know, we have people that are very good with different cultures. I think that as Israelis... Uh, we, were are a little bit better in, uh, communicating with, uh, developing countries, kind of cultures. Um, one of the first things that I did, uh, when I started the company is, is that I contacted this, uh, this entrepreneur that started a similar company in South America a few years before that and closed it. So I, uh, I, I sent him a message on LinkedIn. I said, so what went, can you, what do you mind telling me what went wrong? And he said, I, I just couldn't couldn't um, couldn't work with with these people, right? So I, because he was American, and and he was working in in Latin America, and he said they they say something and then they don't they don't follow through. They set a meeting with you and then they're late with, by an hour, and yeah, and, they, and it's true. But we were just we just came there and we said okay, so we'll wait an hour, um, and, and we were very kind of. Mm. Okay. Um, as long as as long as we get the contract, we don't care. Um, so I think that kind of culturally, we were much more flexible. So that allows us to work in, in different places in the world.
2: Right. And your kryptonite?
1: I think negativity. Kind of negative uh, people would would be. So the, the one of the things that I that I find most hard to work with is is kind of uh, no people. There's two kind of people. Like one one kind is person that tells you no, it's not going to work. And the other one will tell you, yes, but we're gonna to have to sort of turn around the world for that to work. And then say, okay, let's turn, you know, let's turn around the world. Um, so, kind of no people are really, I guess, my my something that takes away my my energy.
2: Thank you for being a yes person who is turning around the world uh, in your own business and universe, but actually helping many other people along the way to help them make their travel so much more convenient. And I very much hope that everything to do with the pandemic, which already seems like your past, but I hope that you just keep pushing through uh, and, and scaling your company uh, and making this really the, achieving the vision that you've set for yourself and beyond.
0: You have an allergy to know people, but you're still finding the opportunity and being optimistic in a really hard industry. So that, that's great for you. And you know, it's like a fairy tale as a pun. I wish you your best of luck and I hope to see you uh, ipo and you're doing whatever the heck you want to do.
1: You deserve it. All right. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Real. life.
2: Superpowers.
0: superpowers. powers